I don't know. Um, well, it's challenging to fill that much, uh, that, to fill that much space uh, with a staff that has no real obligation to come in. They just have to want to, because you couldn't compel it. It was a, a volunteer thing. It, there's no grade. There's no uh, compelling reason for them to come in, and we had no way of, of enforcing any kind of requirement. Uh, but they came in. You know, they kept coming. From 1997 to 2015, high school students in Memphis, Tennessee got an unprecedented opportunity to talk and write about life from their point of view and get their words published and distributed across the city of Memphis. On the second part of a two-part interview with Dr. Eleanor Grusin, she dives deeper into the challenges she faced launching the Teen Appeal and the legacy she left behind. I don't want to name the school because I may get it wrong, but it's from a principal who uh, would not let the newspaper be distributed at, at some point. When things like that came up, I would send the coordinator, and uh, the coordinator went out that time and talked to him, and, and I think after their discussion, he better understood her, and he knew her, and he saw her, so he felt better about it, and he let the newspaper be distributed. I'm Jackson Brown, and this is episode three of Disappearing Inc., a grown-up story about a teen newspaper, the oral history podcast of the Memphis Teen Appeal. <laughs> it was like last minute. Dr. Grusin, would you write us an editorial to, to fill this space? Sure, although it's nine o'clock at night and I should have been home two hours ago. Yes, uh, things like that. That was the first year. That was the first issue, as a matter of fact. Uh, first year was, was tough uh, because, well, it was good in a way because we had so many kids coming into the newsroom we had set up, uh, which just took up the space that's now filled, I think, by the uh, Mark Peresquia and the investigative uh, reporting uh, group. I think it's a group now. I think there are three of them. But all that space on the third floor we had as a newsroom. and. Uh, with computers, so there would, we had a lot of takers at first, because they they were eager, I guess, to be really involved, but at the same time, we just had the the coordinator and her grad assistant, and me, <laughs> and that's to fill like Monday through Saturday, because we had, we were open on Saturdays too, and it it was kind of. Uh, it was kind of tough, and then keeping up with the money and uh, solving any problems that Scripps Howard had in uh, our saw with the program. Uh, and when you're doing it long distance, even by email, you, you can't be detailed enough so that 
they absolutely know what you're doing and what you've achieved and so forth. Despite the various challenges and growing pains Eleanor faced with the Tina Peel, she knew right from the start that this was going to be an ideal that took off. I think I knew from the beginning. I think I knew from the beginning because we had this, such strong support from the commercial appeal. The editor was Angus McCarran. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. No, he was used to, he and I started out together as reporters. I was the only news reporter on, on the commercial appeal in the 1960s. And he was there in the 1960s as a reporter. And then he left, I think he went to Birmingham first. And then he went to Pittsburgh and was editor of the Pittsburgh Press. And uh, oh, he, when Lionel Linder, who was editor of the Commercial Appeal, was killed in an automobile accident, he came back to Memphis. Scripps Howard brought him back to Memphis to be editor here. And uh, so working with him was like working with an old friend. And, you know, he was always positive, always positive. And I knew as long as I had his support that it was going to go. And I had promised him that I would do my best to make it a go from my end. And uh, there was no way I was going to let him down. And I knew he would not let me down. So um, it, to me, it always seemed like it would work. It, it might work you pretty hard, <laughs> but it would work. Looking back at her time as program coordinator, Eleanor recalled a few stories that stood out for her and really made a difference in the Memphis community. When the uh, kids did a a story about the weapons detectors at the schools, at metal detectors, uh, and they could tell you, they interviewed kids who knew how how to beat the metal detectors, and we published it. And it was a good thing for the schools to know, but at the same time, they were angry that we had published it, you know? But I learned as a reporter myself, if you make some people happy, you're going to make some people angry. And uh, so so goes it. And uh, we did get some uh, minor negative feedback from the school. Uh, city school administrators, but it was worth worth it, in my opinion, to have that information out there. But you know, to tell for kids to know how to beat a metal detector, they knew what time the metal detector would be turned off, and they hid in the bushes until they turned it off, and then they went in. And uh, and their telling of it was to let people know that, that you know, it's not necessarily safe, which was a good thing. But we saw problems as they arose, but we never changed our editorial policy of letting the kids choose the stories. I think probably they should have been a little more apprehensive than they were. They just wanted to do it. And we came up with a we asked for the interview with the chief of police, and he readily granted it. And then they went, and, and uh, I believe the grad student went with this student as just kind of moral support 
you know. So he wouldn't be scared to ask what he needed to ask. And they taped it. And that was that. Uh, yeah, you know, sometimes you have to do a little more than maybe an English teacher in a high school would be willing to do or know how to do. Because uh, most of any, not everybody, and actually not many people at all who run high school newspapers have ever had any journalism pro training, if you think about it. So th therein is a problem, you know. And they're also very timid about, in many cases, about bringing up things that might upset their principal, their boss. So um, I think we were in a better position as an outside group to uh, bring up stories that we wanted and needed to do. They say all good things eventually come to an end, and the same was true for the Teen Appeal. In 2015, Scripps Howard sold the Commercial Appeal, and its foundation pulled funding from the teen newspaper, ending its publication. When asked if there were any school publications today that had come anywhere close to the Teen Appeal as far as journalistic storytelling or integrity, Eleanor didn't hold back. Oh, it's, it's junk. I'm sorry, but it is. Not everywhere, but it's, it's no. There's, there's no real journalism uh, done in so many schools. Uh, and yet, it depends on the place. I had a good friend who won the, an award, Colorado Teacher of the Year, because she was in charge of uh, city, of, uh, <coughs> city schools where she taught uh, journalism, high school journalism. She was the head of, any high, of the High School Journalism Association in Colorado. And uh, they, they did really meaningful things, much like what we did and uh, with the Teen Appeal. But it, Teen Appeal was not at all like most high school newspapers. I mean, and the kids came up with these ideas, like whether metal detectors worked and that kind of thing, or, or what can be done about the, you know, over, uh, can we talk about the can we talk about the uh, harassment of black males uh, by police? And uh, yes, you can. We'll have to, yeah, what should we do? And we figured out, well, let's just interview the chief of police. And uh, those were the kinds of stories that they wanted to do. They initiated the good stories. Uh, we would suggest certain stories to them, but they came up with the good ones. I think Memphis was ideal for this to happen because, uh, you know, almost, I think at that time, 80%, that number comes to my mind, 80% of the uh, school population in, in the city schools not county at the time because it wasn't city, it wasn't, didn't take in the county. It, those were two separate school districts. That was before all the suburbs uh, 
joined, I mean, uh, became independent municipalities. They, not independent municipalities, but set up independent municipal school districts. And so, but we only dealt with city schools and they were 80% African American and no, no, no exposure to journalism. So how are you gonna get them recruited in to journalism to diversify newsrooms? Well, you need a citywide high school newspaper. So I think Memphis was perfect for doing it, which is not to say it couldn't happen somewhere else, but you'd have to have someone willing to foot the bill for uh, doing this. To do that much work takes people and time and effort. And, uh, you know, it was uh, quite a thing, quite, quite a lot of work. When asked if she thinks the teen appeal would work now, she said it depends, but there's one thing she's absolutely sure of. As far as would it work with the students, I think it would always work with the students. They, they don't do journalism in the high schools. They do not do journalism in the high schools. Uh, there are a couple of private schools that do some, but generally they don't. But it would work, yes. It would definitely work if you're say asking, would the students respond? Yes, I do believe the students would respond. And uh, the, so the two critical questions would be, how do you find somebody who's willing to commit that much time and energy to do it? And how do you find someone who's willing to, to uh, finance it? And who would finance it? With newspapers as, as being in the shape that they're in right now, uh, I don't know. I don't know if you could find it, the financial support. Um, I understand the department reached out to some uh, possible funders and were rejected. But, you know, there were some obvious possibilities around town that they didn't reach out to, like uh, go back to the Plough Foundation. They were extremely friendly in their, it, it took one meeting with them and they handed over the, the grant. And they're still around, you know. Uh, and I see things all the time that are getting funding. And they're not as productive as we were. I've got a long list that I could print off for you from my computer in there of the students and what they what they did, where they went to school, what they majored in, and how well they did, and what they're doing now. Thanks for tuning in to part two of our interview with Dr. Eleanor Grusin. In the next episode, we have Teen Appeal alumni, Marcus Matthews, discussing his experiences as a student writer for the Teen Appeal. I'm Jackson, and you can keep up with the episodes by visiting our website, disappearinginkpod.com. That's disappearinginkpod.com.
Oh, <laughs> my